morning. I'll be by you guys today. Hey, good morning. Don't worry, we're not doing any children's songs right now. That was real quick. <laughs> now next time. No, um, <clears throat> before we got started, I want to uh, share a bit of heavy news uh, from the Samson family. Some of you might know, um, kind of dealing with a bit of a tragedy, more than a bit of a tragedy this week. Um, Rebecca, who was 35 weeks pregnant, lost her baby and um, had to deliver. And it's been, honestly, especially hard for them, but for the whole Samson yeah. family, yeah. Uh, something that's been really, we're really excited for. And so, um, not a lot of words, but just want to extend that out to you guys. Please don't message her yeah. or really the family a whole lot right now. If you want to help, uh, Emily, um, Mother Emily is uh, doing a kind of a meal train for them. So if you want to help in a way, reach out to her and, and, and see how you can help via that way. But I wanted to share that news with you. This is, this is someone that a lot of you guys saw grow up from, yeah. a baby. Yeah. And it's, it's hard for all of us. So let's pray. Let's go to God. Let's pray. And uh, we'll, we'll dive into the word together. Father, we come before you. Um, we, we just come before you. We remember your name. You are. You are who you are. We are who we are. We are your children. You've made us. You've given us life. And you've given us purpose. And you've given us meaning. And God, let us not forget that. I pray for the Samson family. We pray for the Samson family. Our hearts are broken for them. We pray for Rebecca. We pray for Phil. God, just be, be near to them. We know that you already are, God. We know that you love them more than any of us possibly could, God. We ask, Father, that you do what only you can do. Bring healing and restoration and in places where it seems impossible. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Heavy times. Heavy times. It's been heavy. These messages have been heavy. Have they not? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. The, the messages of the past few weeks, it's hard. It's hard looking inward. It's hard to be maybe awoken to things that you previously haven't seen in your, in your life or in your surroundings. It's almost like, have you guys ever seen Itman, the, the, the movie? Yes. And that guy punches so fast, it's like, it sounds like a drum roll. And the guy's head, he's just bouncing back and forth like a bobblehead. Sometimes it feels like that. I'm just, I'm just can I get a breath? Well, if you, re, if you read Luke 15 through 16... Endure. We've got to dig deep. We've got, we have to, we must dig deep. We must investigate. We must trust God above all else. <clears throat> A question stood out to me, and I want to pose to you guys. As we've been reading Luke, how has your understanding of God changed? As you've read Luke, how has your perception of God changed? been affected. I think that's something that is important for us to consider. I don't know if that's explicitly been said or if it even has to explicitly be said, but when, whenever we read scripture, we read scripture for what purpose? 
to know God, to know God. So a question, how has your understanding of God changed? You know, we were probably used to this idea of, you know, the God of the Old Testament is a wrathful God and he's always punishing people. But if you spent any, uh, like, long amount of time in the Old Testament, you see that's simply not true. You see an incredibly patient God. You see an, very, you see an incredibly loving God, forgiving God. It's kind of like that with Jesus. I had this perception of Jesus. Jesus had no patience, no cares for the religious folk. That's the perception of Jesus I, I feel like I've always had. Kicking, kicking down tables, uh, going through the temple with whips and cords. That's the, I'm like, yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah, down with the system, right, Jesus? That's, that's how I've seen Jesus. And Luke is showing me, the Gospel of Luke is showing me, the Spirit is showing me, it's more nuanced than that. There's more going on here. Jesus is incredibly patient with them. He's very direct in what he says, right? But he's so patient. We're still in Luke, and he's still giving the Pharisees and the religious elite hope. He's still calling them to repent, which means he believes they can. Right? I would have given up a long time ago. And honestly, that kind of makes me mad. I want Jesus to be like the way I used to think of him, because that means that I can be like that. How has your view of God changed from reading Luke? That's an important thing we got to think about. You know, I think we, collectively, I think we share a view with the Pharisees. God is wrathful and will punish the wicked, and therefore we must do the right things. I think we often default to this kind of thinking. And from this basis, we can start to fill in the gaps of, well, what uh, what does wicked mean? What, are, what does right things mean? We can fill in these gaps with our own right. thinking, our own uh, perception. And here we enter Luke 15 and 16. If you haven't opened up to there already, like me, uh, go ahead and open up there. This is where we'll be uh, hanging out this morning. Um, if you haven't been here, if you're visiting, um, if you haven't really kept up with our Luke series so far, especially the past three or four weeks, in the words of John McLean, welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> We're going in. There's stuff happening in here. It is a little scary. <laughs> it might be even a little painful. You might have glass in your feet. All right, that's two Die Hard references. <laughs> not a Christmas movie. Oh. <laughs> I, feel, I feel baited. <laughs> but we're going to go in. This is what we've been doing. So um, uh, there might be a little bit of jumping onto a moving train if you haven't been here. But please join us on this moving train. Yes? Okay. What's been going on in Luke so far? Uh, we got to stop, pause. We got to look back, get a bigger picture really quick. Jesus was born. Thank you. Talking about Christmas time, right? Jesus was born. Uh, his ministry was prepared by his cuzzo. John, the Baptist, the Spirit confirms Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry in the Spirit by declaring his purpose, reading from Isaiah, reading from Isaiah correct? <clears throat> he goes around Galilee, not the center of Judaism, <laughs> right? And it's there he calls disciples, and he preaches, and he heals. And then he heads towards Jerusalem, where people thought he was going to go in the first place. 
And he's teaching his disciples along the way. And, and as the, the religious crowd listens, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they like Jesus' teachings. And they say, let us be disciples too. Oh, no. They reject him flat out. Right. Because he's, he's basically pulling the rug out from under their system. They don't like that. They reject him. So he rebukes them, and he teaches them, and he teaches them in a particular way. Have you caught on the past few chapters on how Jesus is teaching the Pharisees? <clears throat> Do you have a PowerPoint or a Prezi, a diorama? What is he, what's his tool? What's his technique? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Parables. Parables. The ultimate teaching tool. Um, Jesus didn't create parables. But man, was he a master of parables. Why parables? Why do parables matter? They're stories. They're not, it's not directed, so it's a great way to kind of to, to help someone think about something without being, right? Right? Relatable. Think, that's a good word. They're relatable. These are super relatable in their time. Now, for us, it's kind of like, what? I don't know if you felt that way reading uh, Luke 16. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, study Bible, right? Um, there's this awesome <clears throat> Bible scholar. His name is Kenneth Bailey. Um, he's passed away now. He's, uh, but he actually has Wichita connections, which is pretty cool. Anyways, <clears throat> Kenneth Bailey, he, he had made this comment. He said, the purpose of a parable perhaps is best understood. Now, when an expert in the field says best understood you got to listen up, right? It's best understood as intending to evoke a response from a listener. That's the point of a parable. It's to evoke something from you. It's so relatable. It's so real. It's so outlandish. It just, it, 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 you have to, you're compelled to respond in some sort of way, right? You with me on that? I hope so, because that's basically what you read this week. Parables. So let's dive in here. We're going to dive in. Um, I was challenged. I was challenged by a close brother of mine. He's like, you know what? I, I challenge you to do a message, no title, no handles. Let's just get into the word, and let's collectively just listen to the word. So that's what we're doing. Create your own title. I just got the lip smacks up here. All right. I know. And it's not because I forgot a title. I've done that as a teacher. Like They're like, what's the essential question? I'm like, oh, make one up. It's good for you. And I really forgot to do one. That's not what's happening this morning. But you know how I am. I got to tell you, what is the main point off the top? The main point is this. God's kingdom, it pushed the religious crowd, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, it pushed them outside of their box that they created. It forced them to reconsider their traditions if they were going to follow in the kingdom. We know that most of them were not willing to accept Jesus. They weren't willing to accept this because of their box. We, too, build boxes. We, too, have our own systems of traditions that we carry unknowingly, oftentimes. And we must step outside of that box if we want to do things God's way. Let's go to Luke. We're going to unpack these parables. We're going to draw out the principles, and we're going to 
for a little bit at the end, we're going to talk about the implications, but I think the beauty of parables is that we collectively as a community outside of here should be talking about the implications of this, okay? So I'll get us started, right? We'll do the appetizer. Here's the sampler we'll get started with, but the, the goal is to carry this outside of this morning. Yes? Let's do it. All right, Luke 15. <clears throat> that sounded like a football call. <laughs> Luke 15. <clears throat> now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know about you, but off the top this week, I'm like, wow, do I draw near to Jesus? Or do I spend more time grumbling and complaining? It's off the top. I'm like, yikes. So Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home, then he calls to his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Sounds, that sounds a lot like Jesus, his kind of style, the things he would say. But what's going on here? Sheep, what's up with the sheep thing? Why is he all of a sudden, what was he talking about before? He's talking about the cost of being a disciple, and then let's talk about sheep. What? Um, you probably know this, but in, in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, Israel is referred to as a flock, oftentimes. And there's a few places you can go to see that. Ezekiel 34 is a very a place where you see that very overtly. Uh, Jeremiah 50, 2 Chronicles 18. Israel is, is referred to as a flock. And oftentimes, as Ezekiel talks about, has been misled by different shepherds, by different leaders or whomever, false prophets. But Israel is like a flock, a flock. In John chapter 10, let's just go there. We read scripture here. The Good Shepherd, we, uh, Twyla read this for us uh, for communion a couple weeks ago. That was awesome. Thank you, Twyla. All right, John 10, verse 16. Being the Good Shepherd, he says, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So, so it's pretty clear from Jesus' language that there's an understanding that Israel's referred to as a flock. In, in John 10, he's like, there's another flock. What's the other flock? The Gentiles. Ooh, that's cool stuff. And then what do we see unfold in the first century? The Gentiles are brought into the church. Very cool stuff there. But it, it, in, in reading and studying this week, it, it, it became pretty clear, this is referring, the, the sheep, this is referring to Israel. Interesting, okay? So hold on to that. This parable is clearly focused uh, as a reference to Israel when you're talking about a flock of sheep. Hold on to that. But what's the central point of this parable? What's a last, what's a whole last line? Jesus tells us. Well, sure, from John 10, but here in Luke 15, God rejoices over repentance. That whole angels thing, uh, that was a thing within Judaism. You had to be careful not to say God's name, and you wanted to be super careful. So instead of saying 
God will be joyful. The angels in heaven will be joyful. That's just another way of saying God, okay? Just to make that clear, if that was confusing. God, God's joy over someone who chooses him, who comes back to him. Yes? Hold on to this. Okay. So then we hit with another parable, which sounds very similar. Yeah? Yeah. So in verse 8 of Luke 15, or suppose a woman, a woman, a woman, a woman? Hold on. Has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So same point being made. But something different is happening here. There's no sheep. <laughs> no sheep. Got a woman and ten coins. What's happening? We know historically women took a more prominent role in Greek cultures than they did in, in uh, more Near Eastern cultures, especially within Judaism, we see that. Culturally speaking, yes? Google it. Um, <laughs> the term there for silver coin is drachma, okay? Drachma. It just, it's a Greek coin, okay? It's a Greek coin. This is the only time in the New Testament where drachma is used. The only time where this Greek coin is referred to. Why? You have to ask why. If you're not asking why, you need to. <laughs> why? 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 Hmm. This parable, flock referring to Israel, same parable, woman with Greek coins. Who do you think this second parable is focused on? The Gentiles. This, this parable seems to be focused on Greek culture or the Gentiles. But what's the main point? God's joy over repentance. This is cool. Now you're going to, we're going to, okay, so now we're getting into our favorite parable that's all over the place, yeah. right? Because we, it's, it seems, we, we got it. We got this one figured out. But hopefully you're going to see it in a new light. What's going to happen here is we're going to see a crossover between, now I'm going to show you a story about repentance with both someone that represents the Gentiles and someone that represents the Jews, okay? Can we just read it? Yeah. Jesus continued, there was, man, uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. That's basically saying, I wish you were dead already so I can have my inheritance. <laughs> That's, how do you get an inheritance after someone dies? Give me my inheritance. Die, dad, just go. That, how, how, do, how well do you think that goes? Not so well. Not so well. But his father did it. His father did it. He, he, he gave him. Wow. His father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and to begin to be in need. So he went hired himself out to a citizen of that country, of that nation, right? What does the word Gentiles mean? Nations? Who sent him to his field to feed, uh, to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the, the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Let's stop here for a second. We see this son. We see this son. 
He's disobedient to his culture. He's disobedient to the traditions, to how you're supposed to be family. He chooses his way over that. He's disobedient to the Torah. He's unclean. This guy is a caricature of Gentile living, a caricature, okay? He's a caricature of Gentile living. Let's keep reading. When he came to a census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough food to spare? Here I'm starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, say to him, Dad, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But, but while he was a, still a long way off, his father saw him. That's interesting. Some people are like, was his dad just constantly waiting? sitting on the porch? Did his dad keep tabs on him this whole time? His servants are probably going to trade or do different things on business. Did he just keep tabs on his son this whole time? We don't know. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. You don't do that in this time. I'm sure you've heard this in a million sermons. You don't do that. Running is undignified. People could see your ankles or more. You don't do that. You walk slowly. But he ran. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I'm sure he had more to say. <laughs> but his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, bring a ring it on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Everybody's celebrating. How cool is this? How cool is Are you cool with this? This is cool. This is nice. I like this. The father. Who's a father representing here? God, clearly. Who, what do you know, same point as the last two parables, he's overly joyful at repentance. Are you, they're connecting. They're connecting, yes? Yeah. Yes. We're, hold, wait, there's more. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. What was he doing? Was he not waiting for... Oh, hold on. Working. <laughs> he was focused on getting his. He was focused on working. What... How come he didn't know his brother was on his way? How come he didn't know his brother was already back? Is it just because no one told me? Was there maybe a deliberate, I don't want to know? Hmm. you got to be asking these questions, y'all. This is the whole point of parables. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. That's uncomfortable. He came, or he called out, was like, where's my... Anyway, sorry. He called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother's come, he said, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he was, um, he, he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, what's his response? Is it the fruit of the spirit or is it the fruit of the flesh? His brother, his brother became angry and refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him. Wow. But, but he answered his father, look, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you kill the fattened calf for him my son 
the Father says, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus does an incredible thing, and he just leaves it there. (laughs) There's no resolve. We don't know how the older brother responds. It's almost as if Jesus is like, the choice is yours. How are you going to respond? The younger son is kind of this caricature of Gentile living. The older son is definitely a caricature of like religious piety, the religious crowd. I've done everything. I've done it right, Dad. Hmm. What is the purpose of the law with a capital L? Isn't it to bring people back to God? Isn't it to be a blessing? Isn't it about dwelling with him? Isn't it about having a new heart? I think the older brother missed out on that part. So we're left on a cliffhanger. And then we're like, okay, Jesus, I get it. Your head's bouncing back and forth. You know, <laughs> you're just getting punched and punched. He's like, oh, hold on. <laughs> we got one more. So we go from probably the, in, our, in our culture today, this is probably one of the best, better understood parables that we talk about a lot. And then we go to Luke 16, where I've never heard a sermon on this. <laughs> I've never heard a teaching. Like, who talks about this? Even my study Bible, made by Bible scholars, were like, yeah, this is one of the harder ones to get. <laughs> What's happening here? All right, so hang on. We have one more parable to stack on this, okay? And we're in Luke 16 now. Jesus has just laid this out for them. He's making them think. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. You're done. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. Wow, hold on. There's some humility here, isn't there? I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Okay, i got to fix things. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, that's a lot. Where do you even put that? I don't know. <laughs> the manager told him, parables are outlandish, right? This ridiculous amounts of things to get the point across. That's a lot. I can imagine people are like, who's got 900 gallons of Herod? I don't know. The manager told him, take your bull or bill. Oh, that's a different parable. Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400 or make, make it 450. Then, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Well, what's happening here? This is weird. The master commended the, the, dishonest, the, the dishonest manager, the one who had previously been dishonest, because he acted shrewdly, smartly, wisely. For the, and, then, and then Jesus goes straight into a teaching here, and he goes in. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are in the people of the light. And then we have... Jesus starts to, uh, he starts, and then he starts working the body, right? He, start, he's, he goes after their system of, of wealth that they cling to. We're not going to get into that. We don't have enough time, but man, that's another. Woo! All right, you good? Yeah. Let's talk about this parable of the dishonest manager. It's kind of weird. Jesus had left that question on the table. 
religious leaders, Pharisees, fellow Jews, how are you responding to God's kingdom? I've been proclaiming it. It's, it's coming. How are you responding to that? Are you going to step outside of your box? What's interesting here is, is uh, in these dynamics we've seen back and forth, it's like the Pharisees are nonstop trying to bait Jesus into traps. They're trying to fish for information. They're trying to find something to convict him on. And Jesus, in response, teaches them with parables. No traps, no tricks, just treats. Just God's joy. He shows them what repentance looks like. So that's the whole point of this, I believe. That's what this whole thing is showing us. It's showing them how to repent. So the dishonest manager, this is very clearly pointing to who, do you think? Who did God entrust with his way of living, with being his people, to be a blessing to the nations? Israel. Did they do that? No. What did they do with the law? They built up walls. They made more laws. They secured a place for themselves. They're like building a kingdom inside of God's kingdom. Instead of complaining, deflecting, attacking, the manager, he takes one last shot at performing his master's mission. It's clear that the manager lessens the debts. Now, this is something that I don't want to get too technical here. But the way, if you were in charge of, like, balancing books, if you were an accountant or even a tax collector, how did you get paid? You got paid by adding a fee on top of whatever they owed. So interest or commission, that's how you got paid. And there was no, there was no way of making this fair. And that's why there's a lot of hatred for, like, tax collectors or accountants and stuff, because they could just say 100% commission was not uncommon. Seriously, 100% commission was not uncommon. But what does he do? He doesn't do that. Listen here, guys, this is crazy. He collects his master's money by either, what Bible scholars say, he's probably either removing that interest that would pay him or he's removing his own personal commission. What does that mean, though? What does that mean? Let's go to Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 46. This is the woes to the Pharisees. Jesus replied, You experts of the laws, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. We've talked about this before, but quick refresher. Um, one thing that would happen in this time would be um, if you wanted to understand a rabbi or a teacher's, uh, their main teaching, what they believed the whole purpose of the law was, you'd ask them what their yoke was. And you were always supposed to start with the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Yes? And then you would repeat after that whatever you thought it was. Like the, the next best thing. What, and what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's my yoke. What's your yoke? Your yoke is too heavy. You've added on so much more to God's law. And we know this historically. They did. You've added on so much more that people can't carry this. 
and you're not even trying to help them, and it's so much beyond what God has asked you to do. It's almost like this parable is saying, strip away that extra stuff you were trying to do, and let's just get down to what is needed. Let's get down to what I sent you out to collect in the first place, what I sent you out to do in this first place. This extra stuff you were trying to do, this extra stuff you piled on so that you can get yours, so that you could gain, so that you could build, so that you can fill in the blank, get rid of it. And then what did the master, after the manager did that, what did he, what did he do? He commended him. That's what I wanted you to do. It's almost like Jesus is telling the Pharisees, drop this extra oral law stuff and just follow God's law. This other stuff you've put on it, it's keeping people down. It's keeping you down. It's keeping you from having joy. Everybody else, we're going to party. But you're angry because of this box that you've built. This is crazy. God's word is amazing. Jesus said a long time ago in Luke, you guys play the flute, but I'm not dancing to your music. You're playing this music and you're mad that nobody's dancing. Who told you to play music? That's not what we're doing here. You guys know what I'm talking about? Man. Repentance, what does it mean? Does it mean you need to follow the rules? It means you need to strip away that tradition, the systems, whatever parts of you are of God. Get back to the roots of the law. I think this maybe has something to do with Mary and Martha. When Jesus made that comment, only one thing is needed. Martha was so busy doing, 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 doing. Martha was being with him an insult to her culture, her time, her traditions, but she was being with him. Only one thing is needed. Guys, only one thing is needed. To love God, to love others. That summarizes all of it. Let's put this together. Let's, let's draw out these principles. So we've done some navigating We've done some observations, some navigation. Now let's, what is, what's, what's happening here? Let's, let's pull out the universal principles. God delights in people coming back to the life that he made for them. Yes? People choose their own life. That leads to death. But God delights when people turn away from that and go back to the life he made for them, for life as it should be. That choice to repent has always been around for all of mankind all of mankind, and those nearest to God, and those who claim to be near to God, they have an opportunity to help make way for the kingdom in the lives of people around them if they choose to step out of their boxes. They choose to set aside their own traditions, perceptions, preferences, agendas, whatever. Is that a fair principle? I think there we can now look in the mirror a little bit. If you haven't been feeling it yet. What is your yoke? What, What we want our yoke to be is to love God with our heart, soul, strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We want Jesus's yoke. 
guess what happens when that goes unchecked? We add on to it. Prove me wrong. We all do it. Every single one of us. We all do it. Unchecked, we will add to God's law. We will add to God's mission. It's like, okay, this is going to be isolating, but have you ever played like a uh, video game where you have like these main missions, but then you have all these side quests, and you spend all this time doing the side quests so you never even get through the main missions? <laughs> all right, so I'm going to isolate some people, but, but that's just, yeah, okay, amen, amen, yeah. Just talk to the, the, the teens in studio ministry. We'll fill you in if you don't understand. I think our yokes, those things that we end up adding on, are often really well intended. I don't think the Pharisees, we, we talk about this a little bit. The Pharisees, honestly, is well intended. They wanted to be holy. They wanted to be separate. They didn't want to be unclean. They wanted to, they wanted to honor God. And, and I, I have... I mean, come on. They really believe that. Don't we also? <laughs> I, I hope so. I don't think anyone malicious, maliciously adds on to God's law. But yet we still do. Often that, It comes from a variety of reasons, and this is where we've got to explore with one another. This is where we've got to get some help. But it often comes from misunderstandings of what God intended, right? It does. Deviations from it. I'm going to talk about something that's, it might actually hit some people kind of hard. I think this is kind of, I think it's a good example. We, we too carry traditions that are too burdensome or maybe too far removed from, from God's heart. Um, <clears throat> you know, as, as a young, uh, God-fearing boy growing up in Kansas, I learned there's three things to being a Christian. You guys know where I'm going with this. And here in the Midwest and maybe even in the South, the United States, there's three things to being a Christian. What are they? Okay, there's four things. <laughs> Go to church. Come on. Oh, you're so in the right place, but in the wrong place. Don't drink. Don't cuss. Don't smoke. Come on, you guys knew this. Right? Do you guys listen to country music? Come on. That's like every country song. Sorry. I just offended somebody out there. All right. But don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke culture. Guys, you don't. And we've come a long way in terms of our, our cultural competency and understanding some of these things and breaking these things down. But it's crazy still how much of these things can have a foothold. They really can. How, much, how many of you believed that was in the Bible? Like, okay, I'm the only one. Cool. Thank you, Paige. <laughs> like, I grew up thinking, like, okay, yeah, don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke, right? And guess what questions young people come and ask me? What does the Bible say about <laughs> those things? It's so much in our spiritual DNA. I don't even know if we realize that. And that's just kind of uh, an umbrella term, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss. It's these cultural codes that we have, that, that we've added onto the yoke. So we're like, okay, this guy's saying we should drink and cuss and smoke. That's not the point. Okay, thank you. Okay, I needed that. 
Um, yeah, yeah. These, the roots of these things are historically based. They really are. Don't drink. I wonder if that has something to do with our national history of banning alcohol whenever we have migrants move in. Can you see that in the 1890s? Don't smoke. That's, smoking's only a couple hundred years old. I wonder if that has something to do when in the American colonies, the, the uh, British crown started a campaign against tobacco for economic purposes, right? Don't cuss, don't cuss. I wonder, I wonder if dang and darn and mother trucker are any better. Mother trucker. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> it's crazy how things like this just sneak in and we're like, this is gospel truth. And then we, and we encounter someone who deviates from that and we're like, how dare you? You are not a child of God. If I couldn't be around people who drink, smoke, and cuss, how can I be a blessing to the world? How? Tell me. All right, so don't, don't take this train too far in your mind. I think the point is here, we carry out traditions from society in the church. We suture them onto scripture. And then we complain or we feel things when people break those rules. <laughs> Tell me that. Someone has walked, what if someone's walked in here smelling like cigarette smoke? What are you thinking? Oh, I wonder how their quiet times are. Someone went to happy hour with their coworkers. Oh, man. Okay. I wonder who their discipler is. I think we're getting better at talking about these things. I really do. But we can't stop. <laughs> and we've got to go deep. These, guys, this is surface level stuff. This is the exposed part of the iceberg. <laughs> we don't want to know what's underneath, but we've got to find out. We, if we get too caught up in the meantime, we can neglect our purpose of being a blessing to the world and showing them how to have holy hearts. I think that's where the Pharisees got it messed up. Holy appearance, that gilded appearance. Cool. Not really. It's about having holy hearts. Yes? Let's understand repentance in the way that Jesus is showing us here. It's not about following a set of rules, but it's about choosing God's way of, of living for your own. Luke 9, 23. Luke, oh my, this, this gospel is incredible. So much stuff is weaving together. If you're not seeing this, spend more time in Luke. Luke 9, 23, 24. Carry your cross. Sunday mornings. Uh, daily. Daily. Right? Carry your cross Daily. For you, I'm just curious, this is a self-question. Did you talk and think more about repentance when you were studying the Bible or now? Is that like a conversation reserved for, for young people who are kind of messy and you kind of freak us out a little bit and you're not really fitting into our box? Let's talk about, hey, let me get your list. Where do you need to repent? Who is Jesus talking to about repentance the most? I, this is problematic because if we've, we've, 
I'm just going to say we've built a box. We've built a box. We want people to fit into our box before they can even step foot into the box. <laughs> we want people to be Christians before they become Christians. We want people to experience healing without the Spirit. What is going on here? That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's not God's mission. I think we clearly, in these parables, need to see ourselves in the place of the Pharisees and religious elite. That's my conviction for myself. I've got a couple questions I want to throw out. We're going we're to bring it home here. We're going to bring us in for a landing. I hope this has spurred a lot of questions. And I hope it's, I hope it's spurred some questions deeper than drinking, smoking, and cussing. <laughs> I hope it goes a lot deeper. I hope we get to talk about other things. I hope in our, and, and it, does, it shouldn't have to come from up here on a Sunday morning. This should be in our lives, dialogue, things we're learning. I hope we get to talk about deeper things. I hope we get to talk about political things. I hope we get to talk more about ethnicity. I hope we get to talk more about alternative lifestyles and orientations. Because, guys, we have to. We have to. We have to step outside of our box. Where, where are you at in your self-evaluation? Are you draw, Luke 15, verse 1, are you drawing nearer to Jesus or are you grumbling more? Where are you at in your self-evaluation? What people or peoples or people groups do you need to lift your yoke from? Bottom line, Jesus is calling those nearest to God, the church, the assembly, to examine themselves and repent daily. In doing so, we have an opportunity to partner with him in bringing lost people into his fold, not our fold, not our box, his, his flock, showing them what it's like to experience his flourishing life. We're going to take communion together. Together. Turn with me to 1 John. I want to sit with you. I really do want to sit with you guys for like a cool 15 minutes and just read all of 1 John. And it got really quiet, so that tells me that's not a good move. So we'll read a portion of 1 John, but I would encourage you strongly to read all of 1 John. First John chapter 4. As, we, as you listen to these words, think about the good shepherd. Think about our hearts. Think about God's mission. Think about what Jesus did to show us how to live out that mission. First John chapter 4, starting verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he's in us. He's given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love, whoever, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's a word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sacrificing, giving, pouring out. Help us, Father, to reflect and to be like Jesus. To truly, truly see where we are not loving so that we can. Help us to die to ourselves. Help us to endure the painful process of taking up our cross with one another. Thank you for your spirit. We're not doing that alone. You've shown us how. You give us every opportunity, Father. Please continue to do a powerful thing within us. Help us to be like Jesus, no matter the cost, Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen.